We're going to talk about Jesus' warning of false prophets. This is where we get that statement, wolves in sheep's clothing. There's a Aesop's fable. A wolf had clothed itself as a sheep and had gone into the flock. And it happened that that night the shepherd had a hankering for mutton. So he took a big knife and he looked around through his flock and he picked out the biggest sheep killed the wolf. It would be great if it was that easy, but when Jesus talks about this, he says that we need to be on guard. This is sobering to consider the fact that there are false teachers among us in the church, those who claim to be speaking for God, who look just like us, who are among us. So before we go there, I think it's worth backing up and reminding ourselves about what it is we're trying to protect here. Remember that the Sermon on the Mount is the very first teaching recorded in Scripture directly from Jesus. And the very first word sets the whole tone. How many of you remember what the very first word of the Sermon on the Mount is? Yeah. Blessed. And that sets the tone for this whole idea of what the kingdom of God is. Everything that he's going to talk about in the Beatitudes, about what transformation is supposed to take place in the people of God, is all directed towards us becoming part of that blessed life. Everything he talks about when he compares the Pharisaical law to true righteousness, which is a matter of the heart, is designed to help us embrace that blessed life. And then when he talks about our living, our religious habits, but not only that, our relationship with people around us, all that is about not only us experiencing fully the blessed life, but bringing that life, that blessing to the world around us. And what we're calling this last section is kingdom choices. Because again, there are four contrasts. There are two paths. There are two types of prophets. There are two types of disciples. There are two types of foundations on which we can build our life. And Jesus wants to push hard to make sure we're making the right choices. And and it's, what's the word I want to say? It's um, ones and zeros. What's that? It's all by, thank you very much. I was going to try to sound techie today, but I had to ask for help. The options are binary one or the other. Paul did a great job helping us understand what he meant by the narrow way. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus knows full well that even in his day, there were voices speaking to the people of God who would keep them off that narrow path, who would present a different truth. So what we're going to learn is that all four of these final contrasts play into one another. They're not separate ideas. One thing we've learned as we've gone through this sermon is how beautifully it progresses one thought to the other. So Jesus wants to make sure we're hearing from the right voices that speak for God towards that blessed kingdom life, not just for us, but for the whole world. Now with that in mind, let's turn again to Matthew chapter 7. And what I'd like to do is read again from verse 13 all the way through 23. We're going to focus today on verses 15 through 20. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. 
but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell you plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Very sober Words, But let's remember that Jesus is pushing hard that we might be a blessed people that he uses to bless the world. It's worth guarding ourselves so that we stay on course. We're going to look at three things. First, the danger, the threat of false teachers. Second, discernment, how to spot false teachers. And then finally, diligence how to stay on course. Let's first of all talk about the danger, the word for false prophets is pseudoprophetes. It means one who claims to speak for God, but speaks falsely. He uses several words that help us capture the strength of this warning. The first is the word beware or be on guard. Jesus obviously believes that there are false prophets. You don't put a sign up that says beware of dog if all you've got in the house is a gerbil. And of course, in the Old Testament, we see this all the time. If we were to take time today, I think I can make a pretty strong case that in the Old Testament, in Israel, there were more false prophets than true prophets. Then Jesus sees false prophets in his day. Primarily, he focuses on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Later on in Matthew chapter 24, He speaks about the end times. He says, as the end draws near, there will be even an increase of false prophets, and they will lead many astray. We go on, and we see in the book of Acts, in fact, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. This is Paul's farewell speech to the pastors of the congregations in Ephesus. And I'm going to pick up at verse 28, Acts chapter 20. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. That word overseers is interchangeable with shepherd. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Now listen to this. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth. 
in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Paul has certainly, throughout the early years of the church, and you may want to go back and listen through our whole series on the book of Acts, where we portray this growth of the early heresies and the false teachings that Paul is constantly dealing with. But here's what's really sobering. Paul is looking at the elders of the church And I believe what he's saying to them is, some of you are going to become false prophets. Some among you, those of you right now that have positions of leadership and even hold to the truth, you're going to drift away and you're going to become a wolf in sheep's clothing. Think about that. Then we go into the epistles, and of course we see all sorts of warning against the heretics that, as Jesus predicted, had come into the church. But we not only have pseudo-prophets, we have pseudo-apostles, pseudo-teachers, and even pseudo-Christs. The fact is, the history of Christianity is a long conflict with false teaching. And the threat to the church that is greatest is always the threat that is within it. And if Jesus was pointing to a proliferation of false teaching as we get near to the end, then it's fair to assume that there are more false teachers today than there were even in Jesus' day. How do you feel about that? All right, you're dismissed. See ya. It's hard to think about that. Most of the modern-day heretics started off in Protestant or evangelical movements. Let me just list a few. Sun Myung Moon started off as a Presbyterian missionary. Harold Camping, the most recent misguided prophet, was at one time a greatly respected Bible teacher. I went to Bible college in North Jersey. A family radio station was literally five minutes from us, and people would call in from all over the country, and he took people to the Word of God. Very respectable in his knowledge. If you had asked me back then if a guy from a reformed theological position, which is largely my persuasion, if a guy with that commitment to Scripture could get to the point where he believed that the Bible had some hidden code that Jesus will come in October of 2011, I'd have told you you were crazy. But he did. And he led many astray. The church is still recovering from those that have lost their faith in Christ because they believed in a false prophet. A false prophet whose doctrinal statement would largely match ours. Think about that. Jim Jones was a Methodist. David Koresh, the Southern Baptist. You may know Jose Luis de Jesus Miranda. Yeah, thanks. I was going to go with the strong accent, but then I thought people would laugh at that. Started off as a Pentecostal and eventually claimed that not only was he the Christ, but he was the Antichrist. This is what happens. They look like sheep. They appear to be true believers. And they're most dangerous before the heresy emerges, when they're gathering loyalty. But they are actually wolves. In first century Jerusalem, the wolves were the natural enemy of the sheep. 
So Jesus is making a very obvious illustration here that their real goal at their heart, whether they admit it or not, is to devour, which means that they, they have their own agenda in mind. They have their, their own benefit. They have goals that are apart from the work of Christ. That's what's really motivating them and driving them. And just one more thing before we move on. You may want to circle beware and sheep and wolves, but then also circle the word false. Because the fact that Jesus can say there are prophets who are false reveals to us that there actually is an objective truth by which we can measure. There is truth that we are to hold And that flies right in the face of the modern idea that there's your truth and my truth and Oprah's truth. Everybody's truth, doesn't matter if it works for you. No, no, there is an objective truth that Jesus is talking about. And of course, for us, the truth is not just a set of beliefs. It's a person. As Jesus said, I'm the truth. Ultimately, he is our truth. He is the plumb line for everything that we are to believe and to understand. All right, so the question then comes, how do we discern? How do you spot a false teacher? And Jesus says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Actually, he he comes at this two different ways. Let's read on. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So he's talking about, first of all, thistles that cannot bear fruit, If it's not fruit-bearing, then it's false. But then he also goes on and says, there are trees that are intended to bear fruit, but they bear bad fruit. That's interesting because what it tells us is that there are people in the body meant to bear real fruit, but instead they bear rotten fruit. So we have two different things. Those that pretend to be fruit trees that can't bear fruit, and those that actually are, but participate in heresy. If I'm right, what that means is that there are true blood-bought children of God that can be deceived and become voices for heresy and be used by the enemy unwittingly to tear people away from the truth. How do we detect? The first thing I want to say is that to discern is not as easy as you'd think it would be. I wish it was like this video clip I'm gonna show you. How many of you remember a Steve Martin movie called A A Leap of Faith? There are these kind of false prophets, but this is generally what we think of. Let's take a minute and look at it. Now that kind of false prophet is easy to spot. Maybe not so easy, I mean, we're seeing behind the scenes, but we all have heard stories of faith healers like that. I've told you about Robert Tilton, who was a prophetic voice about 20 years ago in television, maybe more than that now. Let me think, 30, how old am I? 29, yeah, about 30 years ago. (laughs) And um, he would talk to you, and then he'd talk to God, and he'd speak in tongues, and then he'd talk to you again on the TV, and he had this gorgeous white hair that just was up and back, and he looked like Moses. And I was young enough that I was saying, God, am I missing that? Is that what I'm missing? Do I need need what Robert Tilton's got? And 
Wasn't long after that, a news uh, show did an expose and discovering he was a complete fraud. Here's the problem. Frauds can heal. Frauds can speak in tongues. Frauds can be very humble in their appearance. Frauds can speak in such a way that move you to tears. There are those that fake miracles, but there are actually false prophets that perform miracles. That's what we get when we move on to the passage I read that Lou will get next week. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did I not perform miracles and cast out demons? Did I not do these things in your name? Just the presence of miraculous verification does not itself affirm a prophet. Let me talk about one of the more insidious types of false teachers that are in the church today, and those are pastors who have actually lost their faith and continue in the pulpit. Tufts University did a a study of churches across denominations, some conservative, some theologically liberal, mainline and evangelical, and they found numerous. The study was biased because it was done by a pro-atheist organization. He doesn't really give statistics, but he does talk about specific people. Rick, who's a campus minister, says, I don't actually believe the traditional things about the incarnation of Christ or the need for salvation, but he remained in ministry because, quote, these are my people. This is the context in which I work. These are the people that I know. In the pulpit, his mode is to talk as if he does believe because, quote, as long as you are talking about God and Jesus and the Bible, that's what they want to hear. You're just phrasing it in a way that makes sense to them. But language can be ambiguous, and you can be heard in different ways. He doesn't like to call himself an atheist, but, quote, if not believing in a supernatural theistic God is what distinguishes an atheist, then I am one. Darrell is a Presbyterian who sees himself as a progressive-minded pastor who wants to see his kind of non-doctrinal Christianity given validity in some way. He acknowledges that he is more of a pantheist than a theist and thinks that many of the more educated members of his church hold to the same beliefs. He says, confidentially, I reject the virgin birth, I reject substitutionary atonement, I reject the divinity of Jesus, I reject heaven and hell in the traditional sense, and I am not alone. Amazingly, Darrell is candid about the fact that he remains in the ministry largely for financial reasons. It is how he provides for his family. If he openly espoused his beliefs, quote, I may be burning bridges in terms of my ability to earn a living this way. Adam is a Church of Christ minister who also says, I'm play-acting on Sunday morning. I see myself as taking on the role of a believer in a worship service and performing. John is a Southern Baptist minister who also says, I didn't plan to become an atheist. I just moved in that direction. And he is clearly not being honest with his church members. He rejects all belief in God. He is a determined atheist. Once again, this unbelieving minister admits that he stays in the ministry because of finances. That's startling, isn't it? Here's the thing. 
Pastors are as susceptible as any to the attacks of the enemy and can lose their way. They can step off the narrow path into the broad. And many stay in the pulpit. So how do we actually know the difference? Jesus doesn't give us a whole lot here. He just simply says, by their fruit, you'll know them. What I think he's getting that is that in time, false teachers reveal themselves. The first fruit is by their character and their conduct. In time, those that are actually dead spiritually inside will reveal that death in how they serve and how they minister. Those who are wolves in sheep clothing looking to take from the church will reveal that. Creflo Dollar is a false prophet standing up and saying, God wants me to have a jet. He's a false prophet. Paul said, a true prophet of God does not come peddling the word of God for profit. The whole wealthy pastor as a model of wealth that everyone can achieve when in fact he's the only one becoming wealthy because everybody else's wealth is ending up in his coffers is a false prophet. They are voraciously devouring the flock for their own comfort. If you're really willing to look you can see that the fruit of the Spirit, the character of someone that's serving and humbly devoting themselves to the body is missing. But then I think there's more to that. It's not just about character and conduct. It's also about teaching and beliefs. Let me take you to 1 John. The Apostle John is writing to churches in Asia that have been infested with false teachers. A couple of major heresies have found their way into the church. They've emerged from within the church. That's more accurate because that's why people have been caught up in it. I mean, imagine if you're part of a, a community of believers and somebody that you've sat in Bible study with, prayed with, takes communion with, stands up to you and says, I, I have this understanding of Scripture that's transforming me. Can I, can I share it with you? And you go, well, that doesn't feel right, but I love this brother. I pray with this brother. We've served together. How hard would that be to call that brother or sister out about their belief? No, instead we say, well, as long as, as, long as we're worshiping, you know, the same Jesus, we're, we're okay. How hard would that be for you? And so it was very hard for these young believers in Asia. So John is writing to them largely to give them the tools to know what is true and to rule out the false teachers. And what I want to do is look with you just the two passages. 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the truth. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, more comes to light when we go to chapter 4 and begin reading at verse 1. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. So let me just pause there. 
We are talking about supernatural workings in the church, some of which are an authentic work of God, others of which are not. So we're not just talking about lying, we're talking about true spiritual manifestations, words of knowledge, prophecy, miracles. People that say, God spoke to me and said this for you. There's so much danger in that area. As soon as somebody starts saying, God told me this, how can you argue with God? There's a lot of that going on. How do we work through all this? Because there are times that God speaks, that there's something you need to hear from someone that God's given them. How do I work through that? Well, John says, test every spirit to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So he talks about two things here. One is more obvious than the other. How we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. First, is all about Jesus. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about his person and his work. Christ means savior. When Paul says we profess Jesus Christ as Lord, he's talking about Christ and his work. He's talking about the gospel. So the first way that we define those who are truth is that they articulate, honor, and worship Jesus as their Savior and Lord, and they hold and preach boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't preach a different type of gospel. They don't preach a gospel of health and wealth. They don't preach a gospel of come to Jesus and your life will be better, and that's why you come to Jesus. They don't soften the gospel. The gospel is about all of us being morally broken and sin having separated us from God. And all of us because of that deserving eternal judgment. But God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus Christ, his only son, God in human form, to live the perfect life that you and I could never live so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. And God put our sin on his son on the cross. And God poured out his wrath against sin in the punishment of his son. And because of that, his wrath has been satisfied, our debt has been paid, and by faith and trust in Jesus as Christ and as Lord, we can be forgiven and our lives transformed. But more than that, Jesus didn't just die, he rose again from the dead, and now we know he is the firstborn from among the dead, and because he lives, we will live forever. See? That's the gospel. There is no other gospel. That is the Jesus Christ. There is no other Jesus Christ. Christ came into the world to save sinners, not to fill bank accounts, not to make your life better. God blesses, but it's the narrow road that blesses, not the broad. You following me? Okay. 
It's about Jesus and the gospel. But more than that, the second thing, it's a little more subtle here, it's about the apostles' teaching. It's about the core doctrines of the faith. When John says, we are from God, he's talking about the apostolic authority. He's referring to the teaching of the apostles. And those that had gone into heresy had stopped listening to them. They were not heeding the word of the apostles, the core doctrines of the faith as they're birthed by the founders of the church. And what we see in the book of Acts early on is what kept the believers moving forward when the enemy kept having all these heresies emerge was that they kept meeting together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to breaking the bread, which is about the gospel, and to prayer. So there is the gospel in Christ and then surrounding that there is the core doctrine that is very clear in Scripture that if people step from it, people say, well, I have an interpretation of this that has been lost for 2,000 years. (laughs) They're a false prophet. See, that's what John is saying. By this you know the true prophet and the false prophet. All right. Woo! So, Clearly, if Jesus speaks about this so strongly, and if it's a pervasive issue throughout the Old Testament, in the time of Christ, in the book of Acts, and throughout all the epistles, so that John, who towards the end of the age of the early apostles, is writing about it. If it's that constant, then here's the truth, brothers and sisters. We cannot take this lightly. As we reach out to the broader body of Christ, and I'm going to tell you, we don't hold the corner of the market on the gospel. The Journey Community Church isn't the church in Worcester. It's part of the true body of Christ, all blood-bought children of Christ in this city who call Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Thousands of us all around the city worshiping right now. It's an awesome thought, isn't it? And you know our heart is to unite with all true brothers and sisters in Christ. But the challenge of that is that we can unite around Christ or we can unite in spite of Christ. And that's what Protestants did a century ago. The mainline ecumenical movement said we're going to go Jesus light because unity was the goal. You see, we don't see it that way. Christ is the goal, unity is the result of the truth. Here's how I look at it. I need to embrace in the fellowship in terms of missional activity, working together, being united with Christ, those who are my true brothers and sisters. But I need to recognize the difference between those that are my brothers and sisters and those who are my neighbors because my neighbors are those that I need to love into the kingdom of God. And learning to discern truth versus false teaching and doctrine helps us make that distinction. Those that we partner with for the gospel and those that we love into the kingdom because they need to be exposed to the truth. We need to be serious about this. I wish I had time to share with you how I believe that there are major people on television today that are leading believers astray subtly because of a different gospel. But I wouldn't want to open up a can of worms without really taking time to explain my thinking on it. But here's my thought. I think you, if you took it seriously, could make those distinctions yourself. I think you could. I think you could 
be a fruit inspector, because that's what God's called us to be. <laughs> How do we stay true to the truth? Let me just wrap up with two quick verses here, because I think these summarize it for all of us. The first, say this with me, study, do your best to present yourselves as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the Word of God. Listen to me, I, I love being able to teach the Word. I know Paul and Lou would say the same thing. We, we love how well you receive the Word of God when we share it, the hard stuff and the joyful stuff. Love it. But if you're getting all your truth from this pulpit, and you are not able to handle the Word of God yourself, at some point you're going to be led astray. Because somebody else who's as persuasive, maybe even better looking, I know it's hard to believe, <laughs> could lead you astray. Because you happen, in my opinion, to be trusting good men of God with your spiritual knowledge. But you won't always be sitting before those. You need to be one who handles the Word of God. You need to understand how to rightly divide it because people can take it and make it sound like anything. One of the things about false prophets is that they're always in Scripture. It's amazing, but they're abusing it. That's why we are to become students of the Word who know how to properly handle it. If you are not growing in your ability to understand how to read and interpret Scripture, then you're open for deception I want to encourage you to grow in that and let you know that we're going to do everything we can as a church to equip you in that way. Second verse, let's say this together. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Okay, this is where we began with our worship, and it's where we end because ultimately the plumb line for all truth is the person and work of Jesus Christ. We have a a path to run. That path is the narrow way, and the way we stay on it is fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, our Lord, right? It's not enough to say, I, I worship Jesus. Well, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Is he God? Is he Lord? Is he your Savior? Do you understand that? We need to keep our eyes on that, on that Christ. He is the founder and the perfecter of that faith. And we keep our eye on him. Two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother, were playing in the snow. And the older brother said, let's see how straight we can make footprints in the snow. The older brother had a tree in mind, and he started walking towards that tree across the field. He didn't look left, he didn't look right, he just kept walking towards that tree. The younger brother Every once in a while, he'd turn around while he was walking to see how he was doing. He'd turn back and see the end of the field and start walking, turn around again. And by the time they got to the end and compared their lines, the older brother had a perfectly straight line. The other brother said, how come mine wasn't so straight? He said, you kept looking back. You kept second guessing. You moved to and fro. Scripture says spiritual maturity is when we are no longer tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming of men. We know the truth. We speak the truth in love. The truth has a name, Jesus Christ, right? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of sharing this. 
not an easy subject, but thank you for the generosity of, of our people here and allowing me to share it. Father, may we be confident in what we believe. May we lovingly but firmly call people to the truth. Father, allow us when there are moments where we have to do the hard thing of exposing heresy to be able to do that because nothing is more important than keeping our eyes focused on Jesus and helping the world see Jesus and Jesus only, in whose name we pray, amen.